This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Spartan 117. Welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. Anthony and Skyler will take it from here. Master Chief, out. Hello and welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. I'm Skylar Sokol. I am Anthony Nicolosi. And today we got a, we got a special one for you. Hi, Anthony. Super special guest, Dr. Randy Pagulayan, Senior Director of Research at Gaming at Xbox. Holy cow. I'm so excited for this conversation, Randy. We have talked with our patrons. We gave them like we gave them a hint a little earlier, like, oh. He's going to come. And they, you know, we have a big Xbox following amongst our community. So anyway, they're they're Whoa. super excited as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Randy, I uh, senior director of research at Xbox already says a lot, but can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? I think also how you got into the games industry, etc. That would that'd be cool. Sure. Um, I'll start with how I got in. But first of all, you guys are the coolest. I'm here because they reached out and irresistibly, I could, I just, I fell in love with you two. Well, one of you, cause I just met you the other, just met yes, you today, yeah. but you're on my, you're on my watch list. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think you're cool too. Um, but, oh, but yes. Uh, cool. So the question was what, what, what the hell do I do and how did I get here? Is that? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got yeah, there. What is yeah, the I senior think. director of user research at Microsoft games uh, do? Ah, <laughs> what do I, I go to a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings. Um, I'd like to think that I t- get to tell people what to do, but it's not true. It's not true at all. <clears throat> uh, I basically exist though as air cover. So, People on my team can do awesome stuff and they can do the consumer research uh, and all of that fun UX, UR, games user research kind of a thing. So I just I am there as a like to call um, the SHIT umbrella (laughs) to, to, you know, enable them to do great things. I've just been around a long time, so I I get a fancy title for that. (laughs) Right on. I mean. Yeah, I, I got to imagine, especially we'll get into this later in the talk, but we, we, you talk about some synergies between the Xbox research team and other areas of the organization, et cetera. I'm, I'm sure shit comes from every angle at your <laughs> position in a lot, a lot of times. Um, I don't know. Do you, do, you, do you enjoy your job now being senior director of research at gaming as much as you did, you know, the prior positions you've held over the years? Or do you sometimes kind of look back nostalgically and you're like, ah, it was funner then, you know? Yeah, you know no, I, I love my I love the job. It changes all the time. Like, I, I think the one thing that hasn't changed since 20 years ago to now <laughs> is that there's no playbook for for what the job for what the job is like we we get to figure it out on a day-to-day basis no one tells us what to do um and it doesn't matter kind of what level what level you're in so yeah i mean i i miss getting my hands on product and working on on actual games i don't get to do that nearly as much anymore i get to see stuff and 
give my two cents worth, but that that's not my core job anymore. Um, you know, I was just uh, talking with some folks at work about the whole hybrid <clears throat> work scenario thing and was just reminiscing about the um, when you got to walk into a game studio and what that's like and and kind of the the identity of that studio is is physically present from just the the activity of, of the people running around to what's on the walls to ensemble studios as a ridiculous example it, the original age of empires folks they used to be in dallas their their studio was set up in this huge high rise but you got to their floor and it was literally star trek like it was the <laughs> star trek holodeck like the hallways the everything was was Star Trek, which you wouldn't really think of when you think of age. Yeah, right. Very age. true. <laughs> That's irrelevant. Um, the being in the studio and, and getting a feel for the, the creators and that kind of thing. I miss um, I miss that quite a bit. Is I'm that a, something that I'm sorry, Skylar, is that something that you even before COVID, you, you you sort of lose as part of your position? You don't get to walk into studios as much anymore. That's somebody else getting to kind of do that. Uh, I, I get to walk in the studios. Okay. And okay. That, that's a good, that's a good thing. My position lets me walk almost in a, any studio that we work with. Almost. Just let me know, Randy, because I'll DM Phil and I'll say, Hey, Phil, come on. Like you gotta let Randy walk into some studios. <laughs> okay. Four, four guys in meetings all the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't, uh, I get to walk in for different reasons, which is not as, not as interesting as like the folks who actually are working on on the turtles right and like being the senior director i presume that you are you're now so general that you're not really generally working with like specific titles or anything like that you're sort of in the whole umbrella directing teams working with all different specific titles right yes so i yes i don't get to work on individual titles but i do get to do fun things um you know representing the company you know um working with other platforms things like that uh, on kind of industry level kind of initiatives. Some of them are kind of NDA behind the scenes. Others where we can talk a little bit more about, but um, you know, like issues around safety and whatnot. We've done a lot of cool work with Nintendo and, and Sony where, you know, we want to come together and just kind of share principles. We want to share insights. So I get to spearhead some of the, um, those kinds of activities and whatnot, which is super rewarding. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, yeah, and I actually have a question about that a little bit later when we were touching on. But before we get too far, I want to ask you, you have a doctorate in experimental psychology. What is that? Like, <laughs> like I know psychology generally, but what's unique about experimental psychology? There's many a flavor of, of psychology, um, you know, from your counseling psychology to, um, you know, Cognitive, neuroscience, perception, development, blah, blah, blah. My wife mm -hmm. has a PhD in psychology as well, but we, what we do are, have pretty much have absolutely nothing to do with, with one another. She's neuro, neuropsychology, and I have no idea what she does. It's, but she does good for the world, unlike myself. Um, <laughs> experimental, uh, at least the flavor that I, I <clears throat> kind of came from, it's more around, um, Experimental design research, we focused on things like perception and, and cognition, but really what where we um, kind of land is, is on the, the actual conducting of research and that kind of thing, statistics, that kind of stuff. Okay, 
Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I Googled it real quick and I was like, the answer from Wikipedia was huge. And <laughs> I'm like, what, what is this thing actually? It does sound yeah. like a logical field to apply to something like UX. You are right though, where you, pretty yeah. much you're doing constant experimentation in a way. Right. Totally. Like, so that, that goes to the, you, you asked me a couple of times and I never, never answered. Um, you know, how did I get in, in mm-hmm. into this? And it was completely on a whim, almost like a, like a joke in some ways, because it didn't, it didn't exist. <clears throat> like working mm-hmm. in games where, uh, as a, as a career doing the kinds of things that, that we're doing now, just, it wasn't a thing. Like it, it just wasn't a legit, um, it wasn't a legit career for, for folks. So, you know, coming out of my PhD, I was working at, I had an internship, I think I was at, in Motorola, actually, in Florida, which was the hottest, most humid place on the planet. <laughs> that was horrifyingly uncomfortable. And then you literally flew diagonally across the entire country. <laughs> kind of. Like they, you know, a good friend of mine, grad student, or a guy I knew in grad school, he, he saw this job description. He's like... They're looking for an applied experiment, applied experimental psychologist who plays video games. I'm Mm. like, what is perfect? (laughs) Sounds ridiculous. What is that? Like, sign me up. And um, it was Microsoft at the time. And I applied and they were like, yeah, come on out for for an interview. But I had a plan, which was not that My, my plan finish my degree and then get a real job in in industry working. Um anywhere really sure. that was the plan but not not in video games because it didn't seem like a legit thing so i got on a plane and went out and literally was like i don't care what happens this is just experience for interviewing right which seems like a smart smart thing yeah, to do yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. uh so i went in there all laid back and like what up i don't i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna take this i'm not i don't i'm not gonna feel the pressure because it's not a thing you know what I'm saying? I had to just play that game with myself. I was terrified, but I still like me right funny. now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, and it went well. I, I remember talking with folks like it seemed like a I think I've said this before to folks. It felt like a startup environment um, with a bunch of like fellow grad student, you know, people I was like this is pretty it's pretty cool, but I I still don't know. Like it's, it's not like I, I had a, I had my plan and then they um, called me up, I think like the next day and made an offer. And I, and I already promised myself no matter what, this was not a real thing. So I said, no, like mm-hmm. any smart, not smart, smart, not smart person would, would do. I was just like, no, I'm, I have a plan. So I'm, <laughs> thank you for your time. <laughs> I was like, what? The? And then I went through um, somewhat of a two month existential crisis of who am I? What am I doing? And blah, blah, blah. Right. Cause I, you know, heard about Microsoft doing this Xbox thing and I'm like, are they serious? I'm like reading up on all the, you know, every rumor website that I could find. Um, but I just said, okay, well let's talk in a few months. So gave myself time to finish out my internship where it was wonderful. Met lots of really cool people, worked on two way radios and other funky little things like that. And, uh, they still were hiring at Microsoft when it was all said and done. They, they had a couple more spots and, and the offer still stood. And I was like, all right, let's do this. 
Sweet. Huh? There you go. Wow, that's interesting. I, it's so funny that you turned them down. <laughs> so this is wait, was this pre-release of the Xbox, like the first Xbox? <clears throat> yeah, this was uh this would have been summer of 2000. Right. Damn, Halo hadn't even come yeah. out. <laughs> oh, this is the same time that Bungie was they were working through the Bungie acquisition, like they were showing up at the buildings the same time that I was showing up and um yeah, it was it was like the the big run to this Xbox thing, and uh, it uh, it was crazy town. It was wow. <laughs> really was that's that yeah, it really it must was. have been a crazy time. I mean, there are so many stories on the internet from various developers, like original Xbox developers and platform holders from that time. Um, and I anybody who listens to this podcast or follows us in any capacity will get the vibe immediately get the vibe that I'm such a huge I've been so impacted by the original Halo trilogy in my <laughs> life. It's completely screwed me up. Like <laughs> I told Sky, I was like, I used to play all kinds of games, then Halo came out, and now I like literally only play Halo. <laughs> but um those well what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just interject here real quick because when I was the re- way I, we found I found out about you, Randy, was first of all, one day I decided, as I kind of regularly do every now and then, is like, I'm just going to go through our followers because we have thousands and I'm not exactly sure who everybody who's here, <laughs> especially on Twitter because it's a little disorganized, bad UX, bad UI. Anyway, anyway, so I see <laughs> Randy, I see Randy there and I'm like, what? <laughs> there must be a mistake and there maybe there was a mistake i don't know but i <laughs> i thus subsequently google googled around and saw your keynote and one of the things that you emphasized i think when i initially reached out to you i told you like the reason why i immediately became a randy fan is because like the thing you emphasize beginning in that talk is the story of brandon who is um is has a serious illness i can't remember exactly what it was and at the time um, wanted to use what's functionally equivalent as like a make his make a wish wish for I think, I think it was, it was called the rainbow active connection. rainbow or rainbow connection that's what it was called yeah I think it's called the rainbow connection um, yeah. go visit Bungie and you talk about how the user research discipline has an accountability to the equity and fulfillment of these magical experiences using your words and I was like damn exactly you know like that's I, you you touched on it in that talk, and I think almost so many people who are in the games industry would say that it's those magical experiences that kind of pull you into wanting to make games. That when you yourself experience them, right, that draws you to the industry and field. Um, I guess from my perspective, like how <laughs> did, did you guys have any inkling at that time what you were really like? about to ship right like from a magical experience perspective right like um i don't know did you guys have any inkling of what xbox i guess would become no no so i i I, well i i can't speak for the for the you know my bungie colleagues and i my microsoft colleagues back in the day personally no no i mean we we made games because they were they were fun it it it's something that was a passion of ours. It was an opportunity to, you know, use the skills that we had and, and just work your butt off to produce something that you're you're super proud of. Right. And <clears throat> it wasn't until 
much later, and I think I talked about this in the talk a little bit, right? That it, it took me a while to recognize the um, the reach and the you know, and this notion of like privilege that we had being a, a game creator, um, and the things that we are creating having the the kind of impact that it that it that it could possibly have on someone. I never experienced anything like that myself other than this is badass like this is right, super right, right. for those and and you know over my career going to being there at the first like gaming uh accessibility conference and getting to know the names of of a lot of people there and the and the faces and the stories they were telling really reinforced this notion that wow we are in uh <clears throat> indie developers to the big triple A's to the platform holders. We are in a very, very special, you know, position here to be able to have the tools and the wherewithal, the skills, the creativity, the time, all that's privilege, man. Uh, we, we're lucky to be able to do this kind of thing. And so if we can do this kind of a thing, knowing that it can have that kind of impact on someone's, someone's life, like life-saving kind of moments, like, <clears throat> I mean, imagine uh, individuals uh, who, um, you know, can't experience life in the way that, um, that, that most others can, but can find it in games, then hell yeah, we, haven't, we have a responsibility to do everything we can to broaden the reach, to open as many doors as possible, <clears throat> to contribute that creative whatever it is, whatever the role is that we play, right, in this game creation kind of a thing, to just get it out there and remove every barrier possible because it, it just takes one. I mean, it, it's, it just takes one kid, one adult, <clears throat> one someone who, adult who thinks they're a kid, a, a kid who thinks they're an adult. It doesn't matter, right? It just takes one. And it makes it worth it when, <clears throat> when you can hear their personal story. Um, you know, we... I was going to tell a story. I don't know if I can because it may be internal, but um, I know like there's a game that we released recently um, that, you know, had had some more socially interesting kind of characters and whatnot. And it was Tell Me Why um, it featured a transgendered character. Um, whether or not that kind of title is going to be a blockbuster in terms of sales and units and drive game pass and it, it, to me, it doesn't <clears throat> it doesn't matter because the representation, the authentic representation, or at least the effort to create authentic representation for individuals out there to see themselves in in that medium coming from, a you know, on a platform like Xbox. You can't put a number on that. You can't you can't quantify it. Right. There's this line where, <clears throat> at least for me, when you when you ask yourself, is something worth doing? Being in, you know, I've been in, business, in Microsoft forever, um, and there is a bottom line. You got to look at your costs, and you got to manage all that kind of stuff. Right, but right, right. you know, but th there's a certain line around um, from a from a values perspective that is just as relevant as your bottom line and costs when you decide whether or not to do something. And putting something out there that that enables um, someone to see themselves in a way that they never would have seen before is is equal if not greater to that than some of the um you know the financial businessy kinds of 
uh, things. And, and at Microsoft, it, the thing I love about it is that we're willing to do those kinds of things. Yeah, that's amazing. The, the kind of like, it's so important to have representation for people who don't get to see themselves in like common media so often. And to be able to do it through a video game, I feel like is even, even more powerful just because of the immersive level that you get to in video games to see that like represented is so cool. And yeah, it makes, it makes me really happy that like larger and larger groups and studios and stuff are, are focusing on these things more and more and not just like these niche indie games that are coming out of like, you know, tiny, tiny studios. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, and you're seeing it everywhere too. And it, you know, a game still, I mean, look, you, you still have to create something that's fun and right. You still right. Have to create something that's kick ass. Right. And, um, <laughs> <clears throat> it's not enough to just unauth- you know, inauthentically slap some right. random gender or ethnicity on there if the game kind of dinks, right? You get right, right. You want to put out a quality product and you know make sure that everything you do is authentic from the not just from the representation, but you know make sure that experience is a good one too, right? Yeah, um, right. It, it's a lot of work, but it reminds me of a. Uh... I played Assassin's Creed Origins somewhat recently, and I read Mm. an article about it that said that there were uh, college Egyptian history professors who used that to teach about Egyptian history because it was a more accurate representation of like the Egyptian architecture and stuff than anything that had been produced because of how much research they did. I'm just like, that's so cool. Like if I could make I would love to make something that had that kind of like amount of research and care gone into it. Yeah, no, and I mean, there's a unique aspect, as Skylar was saying about the immersion, you know, um, as humans, we, we Skylar and I talk about we're like these subjective reality bubbles where, you know, based off of you don't get any input on what family you were born to in what era in one country. And here you show up into the world and somehow you have your unique physiology, like with your brain that's hardwired a certain way that might make you prone to thinking, I don't know, whatever. And then you have your context that influences how you have you know form your social interact all this stuff that forms this i think skylar by the way i'm getting like your static of your mic you get these like subject reality subjective reality bubbles and we always talk about like it would be cool to make this game that's like about this right where um what what we think and how we react and respond to it is so messy you know, as humans. And at this, at the same time, we also thought like, we're going to have to have some like sweet mechanics to really carry this game. Like maybe you're, I don't know you're, you're the mo- movement is just so, like, something's going to have to be great to be able to carry this forward. But um, there's as, as you know, you you form this notion of yourself and the, within the context of the world around you and games give you sort of this like safe, space to do something similar and um i don't know at least for me having played the original halo trilogy right there during those like years 10 through 13 10 through 14 i'm I'm gonna be i'm not gonna i i still i every time it snows and i go out i feel like some badass super soldier in the middle of like two betrayals and i feel like i'm so epic like there's some things that really attach and uh I, I like really influence. That's a, that's a more shallow superficial kind of a thing, but you know, it can, I, I like you, I've heard, especially now that we have some fans, there are a lot of fans who have reached out to us and be like, that game got me through the divorce of my parents when I was like at an all time low in my life. You know, sure. um, that game, I mean, 
uh, in the Halo community, there's no shortage of stories along those lines. Like this game prevented me from committing suicide. Recently, there was this um, article uh, just posted of these um, veterans who got through their deployment by playing Halo, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, games have a really unique um, especially now as this, uh, I'm sorry, a unique responsibility in this regard of like, uh, as you say, fulfilling these magical experiences for people um, that I don't know, at least for me, no other medium can really do it the same. You know, speaking of these yeah, magical experiences. Oh, go ahead, Randy. Yeah. No, well, I was going to say it's, it's funny, too, because a lot of times you never know when you work on a feature, or you work on a, on a title, like what's what's going to click with, right. with someone, right? I There was a story that went around a few years ago <clears throat> um, about this title called Rally Sport Challenge. And Rally Sport Challenge was the first console game that I had shipped. First or second? That or Bloodwake. Anyways, with the original Xbox, it was um, just a rally game, right? And it was, it was super fun. You would be sliding all over the place and, you know, rally racing and... Um, there was a, a feature that would kind of save your ghost lap for you. Okay. And, you know, there was an Easter egg and all of us, had, you know, we had our ghost laps in the, in the game that you could race us. <laughs> Apparently, side note, you know, I, I remember sitting in front of my screen for like hours, just lap, 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 to, to tweak out a, the best score I could get. <clears throat> Buddy of mine, who was really, a, a, he was an awesome you know, racer and games and he, he couldn't beat me, my, my lap. And he was convinced that I had cheated somehow. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you cheating. Um, <laughs> turns out, I think I had recorded my lap right before some final tweak was made to the game. So you had cheated. <laughs> it's possible that I had a leg up, but it, it's not verifiable. Nobody can prove it. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, the, so the ghost lap thing feature, I guess there was a there was an individual and this is out out there like we, I can find it. But and I'm going to mess it all up. But there was an individual who I guess his father had passed away or something like that. But they had played the original Xbox together and he had found the, you know, his the uh, the original Xbox years later and fired it up and was able to find his dad's ghost. Oh man! Right, and was able to have this really cool connection. It's just like stuff like that. That's it's amazing, like, man. You know, to, and and we we don't design for that necessarily. Like we don't. Right. Okay. So when someone close to you is going to pass away, we got this great. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't do that kind of thing. But but again, it's just it, it's all around us. It's and it's easy to just kind of gloss by it, you know, and and not pay attention. But yeah, the opportunities to kind of create those memories. And and have those moments. Awesome. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I'm curious uh, talking about these kinds of magical experiences. Do you have any personal video game experiences that are really magical for you? I usually ask people their favorite video games, but I think because we're on the subject, it's more exciting to ask you if you have like a favorite gaming memory of you actually playing games. Because I know you've worked on them for a long time, but yeah. Gosh, I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> nothing that's that. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you can't. It's hard to follow that story. I know. Yeah. But. <laughs> you know, I've I've had um, uh, just the, the normal kinds of things that that I, I think you have all had, where you know the moments where you're playing with your buddies, whether it's in the same room, um, 
uh, or, or online, the moments where, you know, your best friend flies out with the girl that he's dating and then he gets in trouble because all he wants to do is game with you <laughs> and then they break up and then they have to sit next to each other on the plane home. So, you know, those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Oh, it's super memorable. And, um, that was a true story. That's, what game, what game were you playing in that, in that story? Well, that, that, that was Halo. We were, you know, we, cause you had to do it. I mean, it co-op couch co-op was, it, it was a thing, right? There's a, I, I, Hey, I told Skylar, like I, I really strongly think I have five siblings and my brother under me. I think the reason why I have, I feel like I, and a lot of times I have a stronger connection with him. A lot of times we're built around the moments where you're just split screening halo, you know, and, uh, Halo 2 in our case, but um, yeah, it, my personal favorite game ever. Anyway, um, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think I like. I think I like Halo 2 better than three. Same. Personally. Notice that Randy Hello? didn't say Halo Infinite. Ooh. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> He's not allowed. He's not, don't kidding. get him in trouble. Don't <laughs> get him in trouble. I am not saying anything about <laughs> anything that's close or far to release. I mean, actually, I'm, you know, I, I've actually opted out of of trying of taking a look at anything infinite just because I, I want to be I want to play it as a fan. Really? That's so you cool. haven't been participating in the user research for it or anything like that? I have not. I, I see tons of data. I see the reports. Uh, I've seen early, like early, early, early builds. But, you know, I, I purposely stepped away from any of the opportunities to to play the build because I want to be a fan. Like I want to experience it like like everyone else. That's know? awesome That's that you're able to do that. It will, it, and it's super interesting because we talked actually with a X343 animator, Joe Winter, on the podcast like a couple months ago. Huh? Um, he, he worked on Song of Iron recently, an indie game of Viking throwing axes actually has a great ending. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, um, he was meant – I asked him this a similar question of – is there an amount of magic lost when you work on, you know, a game like there's and he and the way he put it. And I, I'm curious to see if you feel the similarly. He's like he he says, like, yeah, there's a little bit of magic loss when you're behind the scenes. You know, you're making the thing. And he but the way he he thinks about it is that he's giving himself somehow so that others can experience the magic. Um, I don't know. Is that kind of a similar experience for you? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I would experience playing Halo Two or Halo Three because I spend so many time, so much time on it, right? And um, I don't think it's the same as a general consumer because a lot of times, you know, you look at it and you you played it inside out and and you know it to a certain to a kind of level that's not the way it's meant to be, you mm -hmm. know, experienced. Um, but yeah, I mean, you. I think the thing that I that always motivated me back in those days was like I wanted to work on something that I could walk into a store. Yeah, I could see something on the shelf, maybe see it playing, someone playing it and know that I I did that, that little that little thing, you know, that 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 one power up that's there because of me. You know? <laughs> it is right or you know in in halo 2 for some odd reason they let me do some ui error strings or something so there's some <clears throat> they need to help with some really random scenario where if something wasn't connected correctly you'd get this error dialogue and i wrote that and it's the most <laughs> banal like <laughs> no right 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 sure 
you know, but it's like I, I did that and I put my heart and soul into that sentence to make sure that <laughs> people knew what was wrong. And I and I and that that was like to me it was the world because you knew so many people were gonna touch it, we're gonna play it, we're gonna experience it, right? So right. It, I think it is similar to the the other person. Like you, you put yourself in it, right, on behalf of you know, making it that much better, right? To do your little, your little piece. Again, back in those days, it, I don't think I had as nearly as um, mature kind of worldview on it. It was really about, let's just make it as fun as possible and get rid of all those sections that kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so it was a little different <laughs> back then, but um, but kind of directionally the, the same thing. You, you want to help people. You you want to work on something that'll touch millions of people and that's motivating. That's cool. Totally. Uh, that's awesome. So before we um, go too far away from this, I'm curious, we're talking about some beloved franchises here in Halo and you mentioned, tell me why now too, for uh, that's going, that has, that seems to have like a kind of like cult following about it uh, now. It's anyway, Microsoft, almost every studio that they bring on is as a creator of some beloved franchise. And now, and now you bring in Bethesda too. Holy cow. There's like a seemingly unending list of beloved franchises that Microsoft's responsible for. Now you, we were talking about the accountability and fulfillment of those magical experiences. How does the Xbox research team help make sure that this, these studios are, I don't know, evolving these these franchises in a way that still fre- feels fresh and new, right? It's a new game, but still, you know, being maintaining the 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 core pillars of those franchises that created those magical experiences for fans, right? Like originally one time, how do you evolve Halo and still make it Halo? You know, like a, 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 basically the, the the general philosophy. Right from the from the top on down with with our um, studios is to really give them the room to do what they can do best. Right at, at the heart of every one of those franchises is is a set of folks with a vision, a magical set of skills, a mag- you know a, a culture that um, can't be replicated anywhere else to create something that that is super cool that you'll never you've never seen anywhere. And back in the early days of uh, Microsoft Game Studios or Microsoft Studios or all the other various forms of uh, the titles that, we, that we've had, the publishing arm anyway, um, there was a tendency to try and, and almost over Microsoft things, right? The early the, the acquisitions, we, we were trying to be, you know, take the learnings that you have from Big Blue and Put in some structure, put in some predictability, put in some process, and um, that can be hard, right? It can be hard when you when you start to over process or over engineer a creative process. Now, that's not to say you just let people run wild and then they're going to create something every time. Um, for many people, constraints help facilitate creativity. So I'm not talking about in general structure is bad, but I do think there is a there's a you know there's a line you you, you draw in terms of predictability and letting letting a studio be who they're going to be, mm-hmm. right? Give them the room to to kind of shine and and be that creative um, producer of output that that they can be. So if you can do that from there, then 
well, what what does Microsoft do? What does Xbox Research do? <clears throat> I mean, at that point, we we have to be kind of like very malleable, uh, almost chameleons. Like we we have to go in there and not introduce things that that create unnecessary change, but to have a conversation around. Okay, well, what what is it that you want to do to take you to the next level? How how can we help you? Right, we're we're not here to tell you you're stupid. We're not here to wave our fancy useless degrees and from our ivory tower and tell you how you did X, Y, and Z wrong. Cause that's not one, it's not true Two, It's not cool. Right. <laughs> Don't do that, right. No one wants to be lectured by someone with too many years of education and no practical experience doing anything. Sure. <laughs> that's fair. Right. Um, you really want to go in there and say, Hey, studio X, Y, or Z, um, this is the kind of thing that we can offer. This is the kind of, you know, domain expertise we, we can bring to the table. And, and you have a conversation around, well, what what lights up for you? Right. There's a lot like accessibility is one of my favorite areas where, you know, every developer we talk to, they, they want to create more accessible games. But a lot of times they're like, well, how, how do I where do I start? Blah, blah, blah. And. One of the things our team can, you know, can bring to you is like this notion of um, call them in, in, inclusive design workshops, which we've developed based on a Microsoft thing from in, inclusive design several years ago. It's just this notion of, um, you know, you you design for one particular <clears throat> um, kind of challenge that someone has and it, and it may end up making things better for for all. I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. Um, but if you look at something like. Um, you know, sidewalks, the edges of, of a sidewalk that um, have the, the things cut out and they just kind of go nice and smooth, mm -hmm. right? Or wheelchair access. Mm -hmm. That also helps people on bikes. It also helps people who pushing shopping carts. It also helps, you know, a, a ton of other scenarios, right? right? So that's it's just that general concept. And yeah. we will create, do these workshops around accessibility and partner with teams and and if they're in the right place in their development we're we're all in now of course we can also do a bunch of wacky psychometrics and latency research to the millisecond of when things start to lag blah 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 but if that's not useful to them we're not going to say you got to run through our you know through our lab so we can make sure that you're 250 milliseconds under for because we don't want cloud gaming to be laggy like we're not going to do that um so you just kind of have to understand what is that? Um, what is that special thing that a studio does and where are they in their journey and how can we bring our skill, skills to the table to help them get to that next that next level? Something that you pointed out um, along those lines in your talk was that when these Microsoft studios are being brought into Microsoft, the number one thing they were requesting is user research. Um, I mean, we in, in the conversation with Celia, I mentioned this too. From my perspective, UX and UR and these kinds of insights are so powerful that I almost be like, I feel like our UX people should make our game. Like, <laughs> because yeah, you don't the, want that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But just to say that it's it seems so obviously helpful, but it's still interesting at the same time too. Um, you mentioned accessibility. Are there any other things that when they approach 
your team and that, and actually as part of this co- conversation how's that relationship work are you is the Xbox research team sort of integrated into those studios like they somehow have representatives in those studios is it something where like you kind of queue a request to Randy and team and then sometime you'll hear back like how does that work yeah i mean um that's a it's always a fun organizational conversation um <laughs> we're we're a centralized team and <clears throat> so we all re- report up through this nebulous center. Um, and what we often will do is we will have folks that are dedicated to a certain studio. So we have a handful of people, you know, all levels that just work with Mojang and, and Minecraft, right? They know who they are. They're, the goal is for them to feel like they're part of that team, but they still report up through the center. Same thing with, you know, your, your um, turn 10. Like we have a set of people that just work on you know, turn 10 products, Forza and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. Same thing with Rare and, and so on and so on. Um, it's what I like to call the perfect distance because, look, in any organization, you're going to have politics, you're going to have pressures from like your management and things like that. And if if an individual needs to tell um, a development partner or a studio something that they don't want to hear, it's a lot easier to do it if you're there as an independent body. You're part of the team, but you don't report up through them. So that's where that umbrella piece comes in. It's just like, hey, Joe on my team or whatever. Yeah, go tell them what you need to do. We got your back. They can't do anything. What are they going to do, fire you? They can't fire you because they don't report up to you. Right? It's so right. Um, there is this uh, <laughs> alignment. And that also lets us people move around like we we want people to be able to work on a variety of different things even from from x cloud to platform and services uh to the 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 game studios themselves now we 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 want people to be familiar like we want our partners to know like an exile should know who their research person is ninja theory should know who their research person is and they should be they should have a relationship there but at some point in someone's career if someone wants to do something different. We want to be able to provide that and let them That's work. Cool. Yeah. I'll Some- tell you at our, at our full-time job, Anthony and I work at the same full-time company as well as working at this company part-time for the, doing the video game. But, um, I do DevOps at our full-time job, or at least I did recently. And I was under the DevOps manager, but literally like placed on teams in the exact same way. And I can tell you, it makes you way more confident to be like, hey, you're doing this process horribly. We should make it better when you know that your manager's got your back and you're not like on the team's manager when he's like, our budget can't support that. And I'm like, well, my manager says it's still important. <laughs> it matters. It, it You know, it, it matters. You got to be, you know, and I, I don't like that queue up the you know, <clears throat> queue up your questions, send it into this portal, and then we'll get back to you. That's like a consulting kind of model. I, I hate that. Um, mm-hmm. Only because the relevance of what you return. I mean, from a scale perspective, you can cover a lot more. But, you know, if, if you guys were to send a request, a research study about the game you're building to some unknown place and then get some report back, chances are it's it's not going to be as relevant or as good as compared to if I hung out with you guys, I knew what you're building. Um, let me tell you when the right research should be done. And I show up and it's very like specific right. to what you're building. You're going to get something that's way more actionable and useful uh, than the, um, you know, fill out a form and submit it. And then hopefully we'll you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, 
I mean, some teams have to do that just because of the way they're structured. So I don't want to poo-poo on that model because mm-hmm. some teams aren't, you know, don't have the luxurious, you know, investment, relatively speaking, that um, that that we have because we were f- relatively large. Um, but it, ideally, it's better to go deep and be aligned with a with a team, uh, so you know all the nuances and. Yeah. Well, this this touches on something Celia brought up. I'm, I, I it sounds like maybe you're you run into this too. I for sure based off of your talk you have in your career. But this this notion that sometimes people sometimes devs will reject UX and maybe UR um, processes and mindsets because there's this notion of like, well, this is science and that somehow impairs the creative process. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Would you, I mean, like, again, based off of your talk, it sounds, especially in the early days, you definitely ran into this, you know, um, building interpersonal community, like relationships like this sounds like it's a, that'd be a very effective way to help build trust in a team and to whatever, but I don't know. Some thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. The, The first off an argument that that science stuff is not relevant to the creative process is BS. Cause Science is life. Let's just, you know, it's like, okay, so breathing, no science in that, or understanding how you can walk and see things. So if we take all that out, you're left with your creative, even a steaming pile of crap has science in it, right? Right, right, right. Sure does. (laughs) Um, we, We don't hear it that often anymore i think you know folks the the problem is when you come in and you you lecture them or the problem is when you come in and you try and wow them with all of your academic bs like you know it's just like anything else like um you know someone uh on my team deborah deborah henderson one of the she's super amazing right and she she she's going to give a talk at grux coming up and she talks about soft skills as something that's that's super important right and it's not unique it's it's super critical to user research or ux but it's not u- unique right in in just people relationships right you get to know someone they're not going to feel as threatened right make sure people understand that you're there for the same reason they are and that's to make the most kick-ass game as, as possible yeah. you know as possible you know there's no hidden agendas there's no conspiracy theories to get your product killed you know or or anything like that so it it just comes down to be a normal human being get to know the your your partners get to know that you know what what makes them tick and what they're trying to do and if you can help them if you can get them to the point where they have this get them to see that you have the same goals they do and then you can bring something to the table to help solve those uh get you to those goals uh, more quickly then it's not a science versus creative argument anymore, right? It's a, I'm here to help move things along. You know, something that you just, I have no idea why triggered in my brain. There's this book that I read called Thanks for the Feedback by uh, Douglas Stone and Helia Sheen. Um, They're from, it's, I think they're both HBR um, writers or something. Anyway, it's called Thanks for the Feedback. And in it, they have this like five stage process of communication where, 
Um, I'm going to repurpose it for our context a little bit. Sheila, I was, this Sheila was, Heen? Did you say Sheila Sheen? I think I said, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Sheila Heen. I'm so I, I sorry. for you just Sheila so you get it right. <laughs> so, like, they were talking about this, like, five-stage process that occurs. This is me saying how silly the creative versus science thing is, okay? Because the five-stage process of communication, they said, is, like, stage one is, like, they call it the gap map, I think, um, if I remember map. correctly. The gap map. and. Okay. Because the gap is you, the communicator, have your thoughts and ideas about something and you're you formulate a, something, your intentions of communicating it and then you actually deliver it. So that's stage three, actually delivering it or actually, you know, some behavior you exhibit. I would say in the context of game dev, it's like the creation of the art, the actual making of the game. And then the fourth stage is when the play, the impact it has on the player. And the fifth stage is really the story they come away with of the experience and of your, like your intentions in making that experience. Right. So user research, like you cannot just pretend that stages four and five don't exist. Like it, inherently for something like this to, for a game to mean anything to actually be played, like to, to actually be something, somebody else has to play that. Somebody else has to be impacted by that and come away with the story with that. And you have an idea in your head, right? You have some intention. Yep. I, I mean, I, you, you talked about how in your talk, how user, research has moved beyond just helping realize design intent, but that's still like such a real thing. You know, we, yeah. we run play tests for our game. We kind of move our development process from play test to play test because what we have found is that the feedback in those play tests is like so ridiculously invaluable in helping us identify where we're coming short on our intentions. Like yeah. people play it and we're like, damn, like, we didn't think you would do that. We didn't think you'd come away with that. We didn't think you'd like that. We didn't think you would hate that as much as you did. <laughs> um, necessary. You know? It's still necessary. I, I definitely didn't want to imply, and I'm not saying you said I was saying this, but you know, <laughs> that, skip it. Like we don't need to understand design intent anymore. Like no, no, not at all. Still super critical, super critical. Um, I mean, it, it just is. I love that you guys do as much playtesting as you do. Um, do you do it the same every time? How, what is it? What's it look like? I was actually going to ask an interesting playtest related question related to this, but our playtesting, we do, we have, um, we've done three playtests now, um, moving up to our fourth uh, playtest there. Hopefully this month. This month or next month. Yeah. We have a core group of people. We initially did a super fan screener inspired by a, yeah, game, game thinking. thinking Amy uh, Joe Kim, great book. Uh, okay. Which is a book. She talks about how you find your super fans, which is um, so we just took our friends, people we knew in person who we could bring for in-person playtests, so wrote up a survey for them to try and determine who would be like super fans of our game based on various questions. We got them and we create a core group. Um, we bring them in, we basically have them play through the game, and we have a set of questions we maybe ask them during their play, and then we have like a long form in-person interview or a long form yeah. interview afterwards where we ask them a bunch of questions about what they experience, maybe go back through stuff. Um, and although we've done that process every time adding or taking away different people, we are yeah. interviewing all of that is always differently crafted. Cool. Yeah. And, and very importantly, we dedicate time after the play test to iterate on that feedback. So in some cases, I want to say between play test two and three play test three was almost exclusively play test two feedback play test yes. if that makes sense yes. did oh. we address 
feedback from playtest two well and playtest three because we included in order to address that feedback we implemented some new mechanics yeah. some of which have become like i mean it is like a key aspect of actually the encou- of yeah go ahead after each playtest, we've added a mechanic now that has become like a core element of the game that like has changed things significantly based on what we saw in the playtest. that not necessarily like changing the design intent or anything like that but just like making the game so much better and so much more like fun to play so yeah, playtest three was the first time we came away with it. And we're like, you know what? It sounds like we don't need any new mechanics. We just need more content. You know, like right on. So, so yeah, um, that that book of game because I, this is a relating to this question. You guys have so much data <laughs> that you guys have to go through for everybody because. I, 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 in a way, a bit of a benefit we have. Like I just imagine going through some of. Those um, I'm part of the uh, gosh, I have I'm saying three things at the same time. I, I so you guys going through some of the feedback you have for like insider flights. I'm part of the Halo Insider program. Some of the this, you know surveys you guys do and whatever. Obviously, you guys are experts literally at crafting surveys. But we I look at our surveys and they've gotten better. But especially at the beginning when we were trying we're doing our best based off of books and stuff we had read on good questions to ask during playtest, whatever. Um, they were open-ended. There was tons of stuff to go through there. Sometimes that subjectivity was hard to drive, you know, to derive an objective conclusion from. And you guys are sitting on literally hundreds of thousands of like data <laughs> points for any yeah. particular thing. How do you guys like figure anything out with all that data? I mean, I just I, think I even afraid. with, yeah. Wait, we often, many folks, researchers, you name it, we'll, we'll have more data than we know what to do with. I mean, a lot of us, it's just our researcher nature. We, we want to collect a ton of stuff for exploratory types of scenarios. But, you know, the actionable stuff, you know, the, the thing that we had to learn over time was being as super precise as possible. Like, any research study that we would do, we would try and have a very, very specific hypothesis of what is what really is it that we're trying to figure out? Like, it, it had to be as specific as, you know, can people get through this door or, you know, um, can people what what do they really think about the first you know, initial 20 minutes or something and, and just scope it at that because you're not going to you can't really answer every single question that you may have with one survey or one play test. The more hypothesis driven you can be, the more specific you can be, um, the more actionable it is. Right. And so if I already know, I just want to find out if how many people can find the blah, blah, blah puzzle. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not much analysis afterwards. Like, oh, crap. Two out of 30 people found it. I got issues. Now let right. me look and see, you know, I can I can skim the open-ended comments to look for supporting things that may be contributing to it, but it isn't like a flatbed of of just data that's unstructured, right? right because right. and when you add in things like telemetry data, oh boy, it, yeah. it it gets out of control, right? Because they're I don't know, data science would argue with me to the end of time around like having all the data's versus too much data, because if you have too much data from a statistics perspective, you'll just, you can find whatever you're looking for. That doesn't mean it's meaningful. Right. 
just me. Um, so, you know, I, less data is more. Less data is more. Um, the more precise you can be in what you're looking for. And there are times where, where the whole purpose is to be exploratory, right? You just want to let, let someone go as if they were playing it for the first time and just see what happens. That's cool, too, as long as you're intentional about it and you're not trying to do too much with a particular study. Um, right. I'm curious. So when you first started, right, it was pre Xbox days. We didn't have Xbox Live. We didn't have the Xbox Insider program. We didn't have the Internet. Well, we barely had the Internet like we do today, at least. Right. How has like the user research methodology evolved? Right. Because back then, I'm assuming you were doing a lot of in-person stuff like direct interview. Right. Still do that. Yeah. Writing it down. How much how has that evolved over time? How much of that do you still do? Do you still feel like that? is like the core and you're like, now we have all this extra stuff like from the betas. How do you, how, yeah. how does that data help you more now than, yeah, just like, what's this evolution like? I mean, it, there are so many different sources of data available and they're all better for a particular thing, right? Or a particular scenario. Because, you know, in the usability stuff, you still want to be able to have like a moderated one on one session to let someone kind of freeform it. And so you could, you know, poke and prod and really get a sense of kind of what is their mental model and why are they doing the things they're doing? We still want to have that research kind of scenario with just one person at a time. We can do it remotely with tech in a way that we couldn't do before. So that's always going to be there. Right. Um, whether or not you have you know, uh, an insider program. Well, you think about the insider population. It's a very specific kind of, of group of fans that will give you a very unique perspective on what the experience is. If the goal is broadening, if the goal is getting, a, you know, feedback from a certain kind of, of audience that uh, doesn't already, that's not already immersed in your world, you, you can't get that from the insider program. Right. Right. So we have to think, well, where, what's the right format for, for getting that kind of experience. And then, you know, a whole slew of other types of research approaches that aren't about surveys that aren't about um, playing a build and giving feedback, but just ethnography, right. Going out there and, and understanding how someone, you know, interacts with technology in general in their lives. Like what kind of, you know, um, jobs are technology and uh, entertainment fulfilling for them, which gives us some more high level types of opportunities to think about features that may be out, way out in the future. Um, we get into international kinds of scenarios, right, where there's a ton of research that you can do just from hanging out in a place and observing. Yeah. Right. Just a completely different type of insight and analysis that you would do to telemetry based stuff to post survey stuff. And, you know, it just it all depends on what is it that I want to learn. Then you come up with the right method and approach um, and uh, sample and, and, you know, for where where do you find it? Like there's a time and place to go to Reddit. Yeah, I was going to say that it might be silly, but do you guys listen to like the, the you know, because we know that when a Twitch streamer says something bad about a mechanic, like a huge community can suddenly spawn around hating that mechanic when maybe they haven't even played the game or whatever. Do you ever have like execs coming to you being like, why do players hate this mechanic? And you're like, no, they don't. It's just that this, sure. that summit said they should hate it. So they all hate it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, the, the number of behind the scenes conversations we would have with 
with an exec of, you know, of being like, stop, stop listening to Twitter or them admitting that, you know, that they need to stop going to Reddit and looking at things. Like it, it, it the, the challenge you have is that, um, is around kind of this availability heuristic, right? right? If it's if it's up in your face and it's loud, then you tend to think that that's what what's happening in the world. And so a lot of times our job is to make sure that the business understands when there's a very vocal minority, right? And it's like you took at the distribution of all the kinds of feedback we can get, these really loud folks really just represent Where's the camera? I'm in yeah. <laughs> this month, but we want to get that bigger part of the curve. So we, that's why we do a random sampling. That's why we do kind of the demographics check and what are their experiences. That's why we do kind of take a look at how, how many hours have you played franchise X or Y just to make sure that they're more representative of the broader, the broader population. Right. Um, again, there are times when you want to go after the uh, hardest core loud because there's something very unique about what you're building that they can provide a level of expertise and feedback that no one else can. And that's, that's a good thing. It has its place as long as you understand where that place is kind of in the broader spectrum of feedback that you get. The, so you were talking about before how your team interacts with studios in the event like, let's say there's like a, uh, I'm, I don't want to use a real one because that might imply that Rare actually does this. But like in the event that somebody from a particular studio is like, <laughs> we need to do this mechanic. We need to change this mechanic X way. And it maybe is influenced by what they're seeing on social media or whatever. Your team's got data that is contrary to the conclusion they're driving. Do you guys, um, do you, how, how much do you guys you know, vocalize that and put that in front of them? And how much do you give them that creative, you know, freedom to even in the event that your data is not really supporting the direction they're going in, you know, letting them do that, you know? You know it, that happens all the time, right? You know, Craig and the folks at Rare, they're they are great partners, but we will disagree on tons of things, right? The, the dirty secret, right? If anyone tells you that, you know, that, PhDs and user research and UX, by the way, UX, UR, I don't make a distinction. I think it's <laughs> stupid. Um, it, it, it's not the, the it's not going to solve the world. It doesn't mean we're always right. What really research does is risk mitigation, right? right? Because you can't engineer or predict a, a hit, right? We Sure, we did some really, really important work on Halo. Right. The control scheme, um, it wasn't me, it was a colleague of mine, uh, Keith Sturry. He did amazing work in partnership with uh, Jamie Griezmer and those those folks. Um, but did did that predict what Halo was right. going to be? No. Like what what we do is we provide a set of risk mitigation options for folks by bringing in, you know, getting feedback on something in hopes that it will somehow replicate what it's going to look like when it's out in the real world. Now, when it's out in the real world, you have a whole ton of other things that are happening from not from the weather to the dog chewing on your leg while you're playing to a marketing campaign or a competitor releases something or you know, things that are out of out of our control. Like you, it's, it's hard to know what's going to 
you know, catch fire and what's not. It's a hit, you know, games, like movies, other things. We're a hit driven industry. And so the things that we we provide and offer are honestly, it doesn't sound very interesting at all, but it, it's it, it's a probability. It's a risk mitigation strategy. And we're not always going to be right. In fact, I think um, one of my uh, you know friends, colleagues, John Hobson, I always refer to him just because I like to, you know, I think he had a, um, was it a talk or was it something he was writing up recently? He was super proud of kind of one of his biggest failures. Like when, yeah, I think he, he called it like the time I almost destroyed Halo because he worked on Halo, Halo franchise as well. And oh, was, shit. I think I read this. Yeah, we, we were pushing for something. Um, I think at the time, you know, I think he, it, I can't remember the details around it. But anyway, we were wrong. And if they would have listened to us, it would have been very bad. <laughs> right. So in a lot of ways, there's for me, when I when I see data go against what the, the design vision is or what a, a creative wants to do. One of the general heuristics that I don't know if this applies to everything is that, well, that creative visionary, how how clear can they articulate what it is they're trying to build? Because if it's a little wishy-washy, if it's a little ambiguous, then I'm like, yeah, this is going to fail. You're done. Listen to the feedback. You're done. More often than not, when someone has a super clear vision of what it is they're trying to do and what they're trying to do may that may go against what some of the data is because it it's, could be innovative. Maybe we haven't seen it before. People aren't good at saying of projecting what what they think they'll like. Right. Um, if that designer or the, the developer, they know what it is and they can really they're consistent they talk about it in a way that they know if the data says they're wrong, I, I'm happy to take a bet on a clear vision than um, structured research as opposed to structured research that says X. Uh, creative visionary is kind of an ass and all over the place uh, that that that's harder to <laughs> it's harder to wrap my head around. Um, and it's like, okay, you're, you're, you're not trustworthy. <laughs> Let's go with the, what the data says, but there's definitely going to be times when, when you just got to let the, let the developer go and, and look for ways to, okay. So then we shift our perspective and say, okay, the research isn't about do people like, or hate the research is about, you, you know what you're trying to do. How can I minimize some of those roadblocks that we are pretty sure you're going to run into, right? So we shift the perspective to say, we think you're going to run into this kind of a problem. Let's dig deep and see if there are things we can do to minimize it because we trust we, we trust the, the, the vision that you're going for or whatever. It's a super it, it can be kind of nuanced, but, um, you know, you get enough reps, you, you get a sense of like where that where that line is. And it's, it's hard to train. It's not something you can yeah. you can just, you know, um, give someone a, a study guide for. You just kind of have to get the reps for it. Right. Yeah, it seems, yeah, it's kind of like an intangible and this uh, wishy, messy kind of balance game. Uh, uh, you, okay, when you're talking to these people, for example, Craig <laughs> comes up with a crazy idea, data doesn't back it up, and you're thinking, okay, so now we've shifted our focus to, you th we think we're, you're going to run into this issue. How do you go through the tons of research that you guys have done? Because you mentioned this 
Uh, I have my notes here. Cloud Gaming Insight, uh, Consolidated Gaming Insights tool, I think, that you guys were building internally. How, yeah, yeah. So wh- how does that work? Because you, um, the research papers I've read are these PDFs that I pay $50 for, and they're not necessarily... I don't know anybody else who reads these PDFs. I, I must be kind of weird. Like they're, they're not really like nice to read. They're not obvious. They're not exactly um, a bullet point PowerPoint, you know, of findings. How do you guys like p- make that all that research over the years? Cause you said it was not only your team, but like the marketing research team, syndicated research, all this kind of sure. stuff. How do you consolidate that and then make that, accessible like um <laughs> how, how if i'm yeah. you were talking about like scraping tools for the engineering teams i'm thinking of like this research is like a hash map of sorts where yeah. i have this like key in my head of like controller latency and then it returns like this whole set of like latency related reports how did how do you guys do that it's a pain and researchers <laughs> hate doing it because they like to just be quick and you know give feedback over Slack and back and forth, back and forth. But here's the thing, um, like research, research innovation. Again, I'm going to steal this from Deborah. Um, it's, it's not really a success unless it can be replicated, right? Research mm-hmm. innovation is not a success unless it can be replicated out when you're gone. Otherwise, you were a statistical outlier that happened to do something fancy and then who cares, if no one else can actually benefit from it and do it again, right? So if, if you take that lens and you think about th- the question at hand, h- how do you deal with the decades of, of billions of useless words and phrases and whatnot? Um, it, it's tough. And, and you have to be able to structure the, the, the outputs in a way that enables you to, like in, in a taxonomy, Right. That enables you to understand the difference between a best practice versus a very precision based finding that may not actually be relevant anymore. Right. You, you may be able to do a search and find a, um, a usability finding on the brute force UI from 2003. <laughs> that it's like, well, wait, OK, I'm working on UI for a squad command game now. That is not relevant because it <laughs> was terrible and it's not even the same mechanic. I worked on it so I can I can say it was terrible. <laughs> I can I say love, love the franchise. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, so there's extra work you have to that we have to do. There's a, there's a consolidation, right? There's a meta analysis, if you will, where we have to be able to one have a have a system that enables you to accurately capture everything that was happening. But then being it, you have to take the time and and this is a luxury, right? To be able to take the time, step back, read all those and glean what the the principles are to bump them up a level to being um, to being a a generalized best practice, because there's no way someone can go in and find random study usability problem finding here and know that um, that actually feeds into a broader <clears throat> uh, best practices for mini maps, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. it's person power. It's analysis. It's meta analysis. It's just like research in, you know, in academia. Someone has to do a lit review and then come up with the uh, 
you know, what, what really are the generalized findings that, that we have and then code it or tag it in a way in the, um, in the consolidated insights fashion that you can go in and find the best practices for, you know, take touch adaptation, you know, touch controls, right. For, for cloud, um, cloud gaming, there's a ton of, of, of game specific issues that we have in our big database. O findings for developing touch, um, for console games on, you know, for, for X cloud. Um, but if you do a search and you may get a bunch of stuff back about Minecraft dungeons and it's like, well, I'm not making a top down, you know, right. Dungeon type game. But if we've done the work to say, okay, in general, there's a general principle around that we found that's, that's based on data and based on real findings that shows, um, that you want to be able to, to let the thumb placements, be, you know, move to different places. It doesn't matter if it's a dungeons or if it's anything else, but you want to provide a mapping uh, that's unique because people may want to hold things differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. We had to take the time to, to analyze all those individual ones. Then we bubble it up to a higher level. So then, you know, new researcher X working with Studio Z, they want to think about making a touch, their game touch compatible you can go search cloud gaming what you'll get is yeah you'll get all the little stuff but you also get a what we call a durable insight that says in general make sure that you enable adaptive blah blah and blah, blah, blah assign you know resizing of button mappings blah, blah blah for every touch thing and then, then then it becomes actionable and usable so it it's a lot of work yeah. um and you How have to that over the years, the return on investment, though, of that stuff's got to pay off. I mean, yeah. if you, uh, I'm just thinking of like Minecraft Dungeons. If it ships without that control, what? A, that's such a huge like experience impact, right? Like, uh, especially as the, I, I, I don't know. I just saw a report like 30 million Game Pass subscribers. You know, a lot of people are gonna start playing on XCloud over the the coming decade. Those, the 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 return on investment on those insights grows. I always, I was telling, I don't remember who I was telling. I think maybe Skylar, maybe it was Josh, uh, another developer of ours, but I was yeah. like, well, then what Microsoft can do is once they have this database and they have this tool, they can, you know, offer it as an external service where you pay some amount of like license and then you can get insights. To anyway, so just if you guys have any, if you need any <laughs> business idea, model uh -huh. ideas for that day. <laughs> Um, I'm curious, you talked about technology a lot and like using these technologies, this analysis and meta analysis via these tool and just via, I'm sure, human analysis as well. I'm curious, has machine learning started playing a role in UX and uh, UR at all? I, I, when I start thinking about like analyzing large amounts of data coming to like unique insights, yeah. um, you know, a lot of I, my mind goes to like, it, it seems like this is a problem that machine learning could, could potentially solve in some ways or at least be interesting to apply here. For sure. Um, like, I don't have machine learning experts on my team, but machine learning is absolutely um, a key moving forward. I mean, we're, we're lucky. Like we have, you know, at Microsoft, we have the Microsoft Research Organization, right? And they are just there to do advanced, like world-class, crazy town um, kind of uh, explorations into AI, machine learning or whatever they, their interests them. Um, we do a lot of partnering there, but you can imagine things, you know, areas around, um, 
you know, text moderation, right? And all right. the going back of it, like uh, using machine learning to be able to pick up, you know, things that shouldn't be there. You, it, you can't have an individual sitting there reviewing every, you know, every single text that gets sent over the system. Um, the, machine learning definitely plays a, a big role in, in kind of UX. And uh, I just don't, some things I can't talk about, but I also don't have as much of an expertise in it. Sure. No, I was just, yeah, I was just curious. It seems like the logical like next step, right. For a lot of this data sort of driven part of the UX process. Yeah. 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 Okay. So as we're wrapping up here, Randy, I have a few fun questions for you. I got a fun one locked and loaded as well. Well, that one's, that's a super fun. I was, I was curious. Let's say the, the, the Xbox leadership team comes to Randy's office and they're like, all right, Randy, Blank check. You are allowed to go and run a research study on anything you want. What do you do? Any kind of any research study, uh, whatever resources you need. You know, are you interested in how people play upside down on airplanes Mm -hmm. when they're flying, you know, from what? Three different time zones. (laughs) Uh, Brief. If if I could start any research on any topic blank check honestly i would want to do research to figure out where the next like emerging market really is like Mm. i want to get out of i mean we you know we everyone like international is super important but i'm talking like there are places on this earth and cultures on this earth that I have zero insight into. I am very North American centric, and so is our so is our company. And I would love to be able to like discover some crazy unknown like place in, in on some continent that I that we're not looking at from a business perspective, and being like, holy crap! If we could introduce a certain type of digital entertainment gameplay kind of thing. And the form factor is going to look nothing like anything we've ever seen because of the way this population does things. That, that would be, that's what I would want to do. Right. And then make sure that, you know, solve COVID and then I want to get on a plane, (laughs) drop me in the middle of wherever this may be um, with whatever resources and, whatnot and i just want to just immerse myself in in yeah because i mean we you know we get we get into like all the it's very so north american english speaking centric and and i just feel like there's this untapped you know world of uh and 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 not to get overly cheesy it, it comes back to that um accountability of magical experiences everyone should have it not just us who speak english you can afford to buy consoles, right? Right. I mean, there's just worlds out there that that I, I am not aware of, that our business isn't aware of, and we're not creating content for. That uh, if we could just learn and see what's out there, that's what I would do. Sweet. I'd bring you guys awesome. along too. You're cool. Oh, okay. We're, we're in. You. We're count us in. We're Tyler's in. got great taste in food, so that'll help us out. You know, <laughs> I, I don't mind clearing. You know, some you know, weird looking vegetation if necessary. So that could be helpful. Anthony did have to kill a snake one time. 
<laughs> yeah, no problem. Valuable then. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> so Go. one thing people might not realize, here's another fun question. You told me, I, I didn't realize until you told me on Twitter, your team also works on like the Xbox E3 briefing. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. So I'm curious, um, I, I, you don't need to, we don't need necessarily open up a whole new podcast episode around like how that differs from game development, all of like that stuff. But like how much in advance is your team? I, we, I, how much, how much more in advance? Oh my gosh, my brain is <laughs> failing me before Anthony. the E3 <laughs> conference. Is your team involved in that process? Like we know uh, from what I understand, some of that, the hashing out of what E3 is going to be starts happening six plus months in advance is your team in there six plus months ahead uh, of time? put it this way like I, the way to think about it um e3 and the briefings are, are it, it's a very iterative process it happens every year and so we'll, we'll run research we'll collect data on you know on one particular briefing and we'll do a ton of analysis on it um everything you could think of partner with the leadership uh, and debrief them on, on what what went well, what didn't go well. And you end up getting, over the course of years, you end up developing a set of best practices around like, look, man, people don't want a, a, a ton of speakers who just every time they just say, this is the greatest thing that I've ever created. <laughs> right? Um, and so we, we can have data-driven kind of high-level guidance to the business around you try and reduce the number of speakers that you have right same thing around the game segments like game segments of some rando playing with for even like two minutes gets pretty boring actually you know unless they're they're showing you a new feature or doing something different right so we're, we're able to tell the business Let's try and create a narrative within each trailer now. Like, don't just randomly show gameplay. You can, you can randomly show gameplay that takes 10 seconds to do. Don't take five minutes. If you're going to take that long, tell a story. Bring sure. people along, right? And the proper way to tell huh. a story is, is a well-known thing, right? You introduce right. a character. You create conflict, hero's journey. You could do it in four minutes. <laughs> and, that, and that devolver comes along and throws wrenches and all of that. Or <laughs> you know, you got to keep people on their toes. But, um, <laughs> we've been, we've been, we've been, we're now part of a, of a process every year where as they start to think about what, what is the story? What is, what's the content? How do we want it to shape up? They'll bring me in uh, at a certain point. So I can start kind of providing some, I can one, prep the research. So when, so I know what the experience is when, when it actually happens. And the earlier you bring in your friendly neighborhood researcher, the better it is because they understand the goals. And, and then of course there's going to be last minute changes here and there and things like that. Um, contracts and whatnot of who's going to, who, you know, what kind of things can we, can we show what kinds of things can we not show, um, especially in a digital era, you have a lot more flexibility for that kind of thing now. Um, and then we, we will just kind of just do this every, every year. So in some ways, you know, when you ask, when are we brought in? And it's like, it, well, it never ends. Mm. Um, because it's an ongoing conversation that you have. Right. And, and 
they're always thinking about, well, when is the next big beat for talking to our, um, to our, uh, to our customers and our fan base and, uh, you know, everything from your, your Gamescom to the summer sums. And, and we don't go as deep in for all of those because we got to make product as well. Um, but they, but we're, we will be in the room. We will be able to provide feedback. Then we'll do, you know, a big kind of analysis afterwards, um, to just show how, how did the messaging go? Uh, you know, we're, what, what titles really got people excited, you know, which titles were kind of less, less exciting than others. And boring was Phil, right? (laughs) Um, Which I've told him in the past and and he loves it. He loves when I tell him how great he came across an inspiring and or boring or corporate. So were you guys Um, like super surprised that one year when Sony came out and did like the, the silent E3 where they just alternated between music performances and trailers and stuff. That thing. I was like, what on earth are they, <laughs> are they doing? Um, the data does not back this one up. Like, <laughs> well, I, you know, we, we do competitive research too. And there was some wackiness there, but th- that year, if I remember correctly, that was like 2016, 2017. So. Yeah. They, they had some really great, oh. the and stood on its own. I mean, maybe that was the the God of War reboot. Wasn't that Last of Us Two as well? I think. Maybe. Like, yeah, they, they could have like brought circus clowns and <laughs> you know done nothing except show those that five to seven trailers that they had that year, and it, the quality of the, the trailer was so. Yeah, Ghosts of um, Tsushima. Yeah, that's right. That was that year too. The, yeah, it, it, the content, the content will always speak for itself. And, and you just need to be able to let give give the people who are watching something that they're that they're looking for. Right. So understanding that balance between, you know, expectation, delight, um, how how much do you tease? Like mm-hmm. you can have too many teaser trailers. Right. And right. which um, as a fan, you could be like. I saw no gameplay at all. All I saw were things that were coming in 2020. Right. Um, and so there's a, there's a balance there and, and more often than not, you know, Sony has really, they just have really good content and they know how to, how to entertain and and tell a story with their, with their, uh, with their trailers. Cool. Awesome. Anthony, is it time okay. to move on to the, uh, well, I have my last, okay. not super, super fun, fun question. Let's do okay. it. Okay. Ray, I, I maybe want to start asking this to our guests. I think it'd be interesting. If you were to start your career over, okay, so somebody, I don't know, puts you back in time and you're not allowed to choose psychology again, okay? You okay. have to choose a new profession. What would it be? Oh, that's a cool question. You know, it's funny. I got I to gotta, I gotta remind myself that the any profession worth doing is going to have a lot of crap that comes along with it. And there is no perfect profession, right? Because there's a lot of just, mm-hmm. there's a lot of crap, right? No matter what. That said, if I could do anything, it's, I can't do psychology. Am I, am I allowed to do something in a similar Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe eliminating psychology is not super fair, but yeah, maybe just not exactly what you, you just can't do ux ur research for games yeah 
Okay. I, I love I love food. So Ooh, okay. maybe some type of like I don't know if I could handle like you know being a chef or something. I hear that's pretty like hardcore. Really? Yeah. Is there like actually like I I should be more respectful. Any field like this is gonna be hardcore, but I would love to be like someone who just eats food, maybe <laughs> write about it. Nice food like critic? A food writer. Kinda, yeah. Like, and you know, the job is to like, like an Anthony Bourdain or one of those kinds of guys. Yeah, like, someone that people fear. Like, oh my god, what's Randy <laughs> doing? Like, what's he gonna write next about our, you know, about our about our food? But then I show up and I'm like a super nice guy, and I'm like, not an <laughs> is this like so? Is this like Guy Fieri, the next Guy Fieri? <laughs> god, no, that dude. <laughs> you know? Man, but you've got this narrative thought out, man. I, no, it it sounds like food okay. truck. That or food truck. There you go. Well, Skyler, that plays perfectly perfect. into your super uh, What a question. transition into the the oh. really ridiculous part of the podcast. Uh, well, this isn't that ridiculous, but I like asking these two out. questions to like anyone. They're just ways. I don't know. For me, these two questions just give me an idea of like what, uh, what who a person is. So those two questions are first, what's your favorite food? You can't have one, man. That's true. It could be a genre. It could be like a type of dish, whatever you want. Foods change my mood, uh-huh. right? So I, I'm from Maryland, okay. a suburb close to Baltimore, and there is always a place in my heart for Maryland blue crabs. So Ooh. real crab cakes, like I'm mm. talking like lump crab, none of that filler crap or the stuff that they call crab cakes here in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest. That's not a thing. Um, I also. You know, I, I, I love Japanese food because it is, it's, it's art as well as, mm. as delicious. Like the, the flavors just are amazing. And I was fortunate enough. I used to go to Tokyo like once a year mm. and oh man, it's loved like the sushi and all, all the food. I love that. But you know what? There's a time and place for a crispy taco from Taco Bell. <laughs> there, there is a time and place for that. 3 a.m. Uh, on a, on a, on a, you know, random some, weekday. I get you. Like sometimes, sometimes you just got to hit it and like, and, and do it like, and, and not feel bad about it. Right. So I, you know, I, I love all kinds of food. It's just, it, it depends on the, the scenario and, yeah. and what's in, what's in front of me. I love like chips and dip. I we we have good we have similar food tastes, Randy. We we're online. I was in Maryland actually like literally a week ago and had a crab cake and it was like one of the best things I've eaten in a very long time. My man, yeah. Now (laughs) there's no other. There is no other crab cake, but Maryland so good. That's just the way it is. Um. All right. Question two. Favorite animal. Favorite not not to eat. Are humans animals? No, I hate humans sometimes. They're super annoying. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I was like, come on, you can't love humans and do user research, right? You gotta <laughs> <laughs> no, oh there oh I accepted there was this hilarious I taken completely out of context in a one of the meetings I was in with um the other day and I just I, I said something about hating users or something like that. <laughs> out the quote, they're like I hate users, Brandy, Pugalaya, the <laughs> director, and I hate, and I was like, all right, all right. It's, it's, it's true within the context of when it happened. That, uh, besides the point. Okay. Um, favorite animal? 
the weird looking ones. Okay. There's so oh, many. Weird like, like, like star nosed mole or like yeah, like a eye eye. Like what's up? I don't know what the name is. I just there's like I, I'm thinking of like these weird animals um, mm-hmm. that I see. Like my daughter is super into like animals and, and deep sea. Oh, the deep sea would freak me out. Yeah. Not like anglerfish, none of those. No, no. That, that that's the stuff nightmares are made of. Like I'm not into that. Um, but just kind of uh weird land animals. Oh, weird mm-hmm. land animals. Okay. That's a that's a broad category, but I respect it. <laughs> you know, it's I'm very inclusive of all the weird. I, I see, that's the that's the you that's <laughs> the real UX UR mindset, right? Right. <laughs> It is. I'm inclusive of all the weird. Yeah, yeah, you probably need to be. <laughs> uh, oh, right on. Um, okay, so this is the finale of questions, kind of on the. Oh, here, actually, note. let me ask a question from chat first. Break it up. Okay, we had one Go question ahead. from chat. It's pretty goofy, but a lot of people were wondering if you've ever met Bill Gates. I have. <laughs> okay, I met Bill Gates on the uh, the night of um, the Halo Three launch. Oh, okay. And, Were you there? Uh, yeah. At that there. one, you know, they have footage of Bill Gates handing over the Halo 3, whatever. You were there at that one, too? I was there. And um, Don Matrick, who was newly minted the head of the, you know, the gaming division or whatever we were at the time, ran into him in the uh, in the lobby of, I believe, it says Halo 3. So that was either, it was at the Bungie, what was the new Bungie, I think, building. And he was like, have you met Bill? I'm like, Bill who? <laughs> Bill Gates. And I'm like, no. And like, <laughs> it was like parting of the Red Sea. Like Don like pulled me over and introduced me to Bill. At, it was loud, noisy. I had some friends take pictures. And there's this lovely picture of us. Like our faces are this far apart because it's it's super loud. Just like with really weird grins. We're just <laughs> grinning at each other. <laughs> I tried to say something. He probably didn't hear a word. He was like. Yeah, that was it. Yes, awesome. I I met Bill. Great, right on. Uh, All right, Anthony, give it to us. Pulling one. All right, okay. So, Randy, if you have to choose one of these two foods, the other one never exists, meaning you could have never tried it ever before, and it will never exist in the future. Would you choose pizza or burgers? It never exists for me or for like for anyone. It's just gone. Everyone gone from existence. Like taking Mm -hmm. away. This is a big boy question. But they wouldn't they wouldn't know that it had never existed. So you're good. You're not like damaging them because they wouldn't know. But they would also never know what they missed out on. That's not that that's not how that works. I would know, right? But uh, I, I would know, and that I don't think you have to know either. There's that the the the, ram, the social ramifications of this this uh, and psychological are not will not affect you. This is more appreciate just, that the social yeah, ramifications yeah, are being considered on this one. Yeah, <laughs> am I how guilty am I going? No, no guilt. <laughs> this is a guilt free action you're taking. I don't know. Guilt-free. Maybe super guilty. No, I, I, I have, I'd end up giving you a very boring like answer around like um, a food that is kind of like the staple to a culture that defines itself so i would i don't think hamburgers define anything but like us sloppy americans like just eating burgers whereas like pizza actually has i would assume has more of a historical cultural justification is what we're going uh, for here you know a cultural standing i don't know americana is a thing i guess too like go america i guess i don't know (laughs) i I don't know i i i would get rid of burgers keep pizza (laughs) 
Okay. Oh, yeah. well, we have we have not oh, had a Lord. cultural justification, you know, anthropologic justification <laughs> on who You're what choice. Too. Like I'm gonna get hate uh mail now and no. because only <laughs> from Anthony will you get hate mail. Don't worry. I, I'm a burgers <laughs> guy, but I'm gonna I'm be sure. honest, the chat right now is blown up in support. So um yeah. our community's very divided. divided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Josh, Josh, our other developers in support of you. Evan, our our sound engineer friends in support of you. So but here's <laughs> here's another data point, okay? Of the people who generally support pizza or at least think strongly of pizza, they are from the East Coast. Okay. And I, I'm telling you or I'm Chicago you, or Midwest, right? East Coast is better pizza than what like I, I personally, I mean Pizza I've had is fine, but from my pers- my perspective, it's just like appetizer food. It's not really. I eat a whole app, I eat a whole pizza, and I'm like, I'm not full yet, you know. So anyway, my my family's from Argentina. There, everything is meat, you know. Like your salad is a chorizo, you know. Like <laughs> so, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So for me, you know, burgers are going to take the win in that regard. They got more meat than a pizza. But um, anyway, very super. I, I like this anthropological answer. argument. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a nice one. Yes. I don't know if it's justifiable or, or accurate, but that's let's just pretend it is. Well, we can do a user <laughs> research survey in Italy of what what they think about your answer, and we'll get back to you. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. Right on. Randy, thank you so much for coming on. It has been a blast. I can't wait to like rip this content apart for everybody else on our plat, our community and everything. I know they're going to, they're going to love it. So many cool stories. Thank you so much again for coming on and thanks for helping make Xbox way cooler based off of our conversation. I feel super confident that you, unlike you, what you said, I think you are definitely helping improve people's yeah. lives for sure. Thank you guys. This was, this was a lot of fun. And thanks for uh, reaching out and, and just, you know, having a conversation. Yes. It's all good. Even just from like the Twitter, when you reached out, I'm like, Hey, of course I'll talk to you guys. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> no, Thank awesome. you. Hopefully we'll meet, we get to meet in person one day, maybe at GDC or something. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, yeah, happy to. And um, yeah, if you have follow up questions or anything you guys want to throw at me later, you know how to you know how to find me. And right. I also would be happy to help you out with your survey design if you want. Oh or, shit, Jeff, yeah. we could definitely use. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think awesome. at some point we'll be moving from our uh, you know very janky in person interview our friends sort of playtesting to some sort of more more online thing and that's where those surveys will really start being challenging so well, happy to help you guys out any any way i can for real so just, just if randy if if people want to follow find you where where can they follow you we'll get some more information about randy goodness uh gosh i'm like is twitter I, the best place probably twitter i don't do very much else in that's the, good. Uh, good for you <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think I, mean, I, think I have an Instagram account. I don't really use it, like I. But, right. Um, but yeah, Twitter. People can find me on Twitter, and for those businessy types on LinkedIn and that kind of thing, yeah. you can find me there as well. Right on. 
Randy Pagulayan, Senior Director of Research for Gaming. If you're listening to this, you can find information about our studio at KOQualEntertainment.com, which is currently midway through a serious facelift. I am so excited mm. for you guys to see the new website. It's, it's cool. On. What Anthony showed me so far is very cool. Oh, my God. My cat Super is so angry. Big facelift. There you can also find a link to Agora, our upcoming single-player physics FPS for Steam. And we're also working to get it on Xbox as well. Um uh, so yes, if you want more information about the game, if you want to wish list it, that would help us so much. You find links on all our social media. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Randy, for being on. Thank I you guys. The most exciting level for Anthony that I've ever made for the game, like yesterday. So get hype. Yes. <laughs> Skyler made a new Agora level that fills I'm my like- yeah, yeah, Since the like, very beginning of our game concept, Anthony has been talking about this thing he loves to do in our game that's not a mechanic. It's just something that you can do that's stupid. And finally, <laughs> yesterday, I was inspired and I was like, all right, I'm going to finally make a level on this thing. He's literally been talking to me about for three years. So it's a, it's a year now. <laughs> can't wait to see it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Randy. All, all right, right, guys. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Bye.